What's up, my dudes? So really excited about this episode. In this episode, we talk in positivity. And I had this huge intro planned out. I was really excited. I had it all had it all written out, and I had the perfect person I wanted to do to uh, to do it. And so I had uh, I contacted his people. It's a legendary motivational speaker, Zig Ziglar. Contacted his uh, people. Uh, should have done a little bit more research because it turns out Zig Ziglar's been dead about eight years now. So um, that's not very positive, but that's okay. I just want you guys to know that I, I, I am trying. So it's the thought that counts. But today's episode, talking positivity, and the first positive is I'm doing this before midnight for once. So um, that's good. That's a positive. But, you know, there's a lot of negativity out there. If you watch the news, people are losing their jobs. There's a lot of fear, a lot of uncertainty. So I kind of wanted to to be a, a little, I guess, ray of sunshine um, in an otherwise cloudy world, I guess, right now. So for the first thing I wanted to say is, remember, this is all temporary. This COVID-19 thing, the shutdowns, um, and now I guess they're saying that like the, the meat supply, there's a problem with the meat supply. So people are like buying up all the hamburger stuff like that. But like I said, this is all temporary. Remember last year at this time, it was literally the best economy of our entire life. So things change. This is just a bump in the road. And, you know, times like these can actually be a blessing in disguise. And I wanted to just share a little story with you guys. It's kind of hopefully going to bring some positivity back into that shitty intro. But I had a friend of mine in he was working for a local mutual insurance company here in Omaha. And, you know, every time I'd see him, I'd, I'd ask him, like, how's the job going, blah, blah, blah. And he's like, man, I just, you know, I, like, really need this job. I got out of college. Um, but I just, like, I really hate it. I, I hate working here. I guess he, he started off as, like, an assistant underwriter. And, and now I don't know if he's a full-blown underwriter. I don't really know how that works. But he just hates it. And it's just a grind and... He just doesn't love what he's doing, and he ended up getting laid off. And I said to him, the last time I saw him, we went out to lunch together, and I said, this is the best thing that's ever happened to you because now you can start pursuing your dreams. And this was about like, I don't know, I guess like two or three weeks ago probably now. And, you know, his dream was always he, – he was like an artist, and – his dream is he wanted to start his own art gallery and, and just be like a full-time artist painting. And that's like a pretty crazy dream, right? I mean, <laughs> where I'm from, that's like a pretty like crazy. I don't know how you'd, I don't really know how you do that. So he got laid off and he's just like, you know, I got like some severance pay. I'm just going to like go for it. I'm going to see, if I could set up an art gallery, if I could like sell some of my paintings that I've done to shop on my own. And he ended up selling a few. He already has kind of some connections, but he really went for it. And I think that when I talked to him, he said that he has 15 commissions for paint for painting. So, I mean, he's really, he's like really making it, I guess. I mean, he's making money at it enough to pay his bills and it's something that he really loves. So I just think that that's awesome. I mean, he's, he might not be, it might not make him a multimillionaire, but he's doing what he loves. And that's better than just rotting away at some job. And then in 30 years, when they give you your gold watch, if you make it that long, which they'll probably lay you off before that, well, obviously it happened to him. Um, 
if he wouldn't have done this, he would have so much regret, you know. And that's one thing that, for me, with all the, like, crazy stuff I do, flipping houses, this, that, and the other, I know that if I didn't do that, if I didn't take the risks and I didn't live my life um, the way I wanted to, that I would have tons of regret at the end of the line. And the way I look at it is God didn't give me this miracle called life to do something that I hate. So... That's my little uh, two cents there. Um, and another thing is, if you have like a, a passion that's burning in you so much that, it, that that's all you think about when you're at your job, or you, you have such a burning desire to be an entrepreneur, but you're too scared, just remember that you're a drag on your company that you work for, and you're a drag to your fellow employees because you suck as an employee. I remember when I had a full-time job, I was like, I was a shitty employee because I was always, I was always thinking like, I don't want to be here. I'm making money for other people. I had a bad attitude. I was away from my desk all the time. And it was like pretty funny. This was kind of like when I was at the end of the line at, at my full-time job. And for those of you guys who haven't listened to all the episodes yet, I had a full-time job at a um, insurance marketing company where we just call cold call um, independent insurance agents and try to sign them up to sell life insurance and annuity products. Um, so you'd make like 50 to a hundred outgoing calls a day. It was a drag obviously. And I hated it. And I was kind of like, I had this other business idea and I was like getting things going. I had a couple like paying gigs with that. So I already knew like my days were numbered one way or another. And, um, for anyone that's like worked in corporate America, you know, there's like, you got to go through all this like coaching and like one-on-one -on -one mentorship. And it's like, I'm, for me, it was like, I'm just here to collect a paycheck and get the hell out of here. But I still had to go through all the motions. So I had to go through all this like mentorship, coaching. So I had to meet with my coach one week and I actually liked the guy. I didn't have anything against him. I had kind of like hinted at the fact that I was on my way out, which probably wasn't a great idea, but he was asking me, like, every time you, like, logged out of your computer, they would track, like, how long you're out of your desk or whatever. And he was like, you know, your, like, away time off the phone is, like, getting higher and higher. And he's like, he, he pointed, like, onto this sheet, and he's like, you're, you were, like, away from your desk for, like, 30 minutes, um, like, over one of your breaks that's only supposed to be 10 minutes. And he's like, he was like, what, like, what's, like, what's going on? And I was like, well... Um, I was in the bathroom sitting on the like toilet and um, I was playing Candy Crush and I had all the power ups and I couldn't just walk away, you know, because the, you only get those for so long. And I was like totally killing it. I couldn't just walk away. And uh, like the look on his face was like, are you kidding me? Like, what the hell's wrong with you? And then I was like, I'm kidding. And I came up with something else, but I was actually playing Candy Crush. So I was a shitty employee anyway, and I was a drag to everyone around me. So me leaving and starting my own thing was really the best for everyone. I mean, that's like the way the universe like wants it, you know? So look at everything, look at your, um, you know, something is bad in the short term or, you know, you're feeling bad about it or you're hanging your head. I just want to let you know that it's temporary. It's going to work out and just look at it as look at it as a positive. And just remember, like, 
this could be your opportunity to take a chance, do something that you really love, make a, a change in your life. And I mean, kind of the theme of this podcast is you're, you're only one idea away. And that's a, a, a theme that I want to like drive home to everyone. It's like, you're, you're just, you're so close to like what you want to accomplish or what you want to do. You just have to have a little bit of faith and everything will work out. If you have, you know, if you do the right things and you work hard, things will work out for you. So just remember good times are around the corner. This stuff isn't going to last forever. <clears throat> and, um, this is kind of like a follow your dreams episode. <laughs> so a couple the, the ideas I'm going to talk about, um, coming up, I think are, are, are going to resonate with some people big time. So, and I like the idea, like if you have a, a like a hobby that you really, really like to do, and it's a hobby that can make money. Like I'm totally for like following, like following that. So, um, and there's a lot of hobbies that lend themselves to doing, um, either jobs or starting a business that makes money. And one of them that I see in my life every day is, uh, woodworking, obviously, um, because like flipping houses, building houses, stuff like that. Like some of the highest paid people are like the carpenters. And especially I know um, just from my own experience, um, our electrician, his uncle um, is a, d does like high end remodeling. And like his main thing is like, is he builds custom cabinets. And I don't know how many people out there have ever like got bids for custom cabinets or like aware they're like incredibly expensive, super expensive. He like builds them on site, builds them exactly to like the specifications you want. I mean, it's totally custom, super expensive. The guy makes a killing. He makes a cup and he's just a one man operation. So he, him and like one little help, one of like helper comes into your house, they tear your kitchen apart and then he builds everything with his own two hands. And he makes like a couple hundred grand a year. Um, he makes a couple hundred grand a year on paper. So he makes more than a couple hundred grand if you catch my drift. So woodworking, um, like building custom furniture, like I'm all about that. So this idea is kind of somebody for somebody, it's for somebody who like wants to do that. And I, I'm not, I don't want to say like take it to the next level because that sounds like really stupid. But this is an idea that if somebody was like, I want, I want to like woodwork full time, this idea could help you do that. And it could help you actually make money at it. And, um, I'll just get to the chase. So <clears throat> what it is, and this is an idea I ripped off of somebody else in town, but I've never heard of anyone really doing this before. And it's not, so it's not super original, but I'd never heard of it before. I think it's a good idea. I think you can make money at it. I think there's a lot of ways you could work it. But what it is, and so um, in Omaha, if you are familiar with Omaha and you're from out of town, you probably see Omaha on TV because of the College World Series. And the College World Series used to be played at Rosenblatt Stadium, <clears throat> which is kind of like south of downtown by the um, by the zoo, which is also like one thing that Omaha is famous for. But um, they got rid of Rosenblatt Stadium and they like um, built a new baseball stadium basically north of downtown. Um, and north of town, town previous to that was just like 
a kind of a shitty part of town. So it was like full of like abandoned buildings, abandoned warehouses. There really was nothing there. There was no attraction there. There was um, some stuff that had to do with a Creighton, Creighton University, which is like a private um, university in downtown Omaha. But there really was nothing there besides like empty buildings and junkies and stuff like that. So when the baseball field went there, it really revitalized that whole area. And there became kind of north of the baseball stadium and north of all the like new restaurants and like things that have to do with um, the baseball stadium. <clears throat> there was a bunch of uh, commercial like warehouses, um, but they were vacant. So people started buying them and like turning them into condos. And this guy, I don't know, his, I've never met him. I just heard about it. Um, this guy bought um, one of these, I think it was like a warehouse. I'm pretty sure it was a warehouse. I don't think it was a factory. But it was an old warehouse, and what he did is on the ground floor, he subdivided up he subdivided up all the space into like dozens of little i kind of like office spaces but but no frontage to the outside so basically what it is is it's like a um a twenty each person would have like a twenty by thirty space and then that would be like their uh their art workshop slash art gallery. And so the way it works is if you're a consumer and you want to look at all these people's different pieces of artwork is you go in through like a main entrance and then you walk around the halls of the like ground floor and you can see the artists working, you can buy their art. And so the guy that owns a building just leases out to these artists every, you know, on a monthly lease or whatever. <laughs> and then the guy who owns it is like really into woodworking so what he did is on the second floor, he made that into like just a gigantic like woodworking like shop area with all kinds of like different woodworking machines, um, all kinds of different like uh, areas to like stain and paint and do everything like that because that was like – that's like this guy's passion. And he has tons and tons of tools, but he's like, I need to like – besides what I'm just building and selling, I need to like make a – find a way to like make money off of like this gigantic shop because he's just a one-man show. So what he does is he sells like a membership to be able to come into his shop, store your tools there, um, store your machines there, and then be able to like use that as like a communal area. So that's like a really cool idea because he's making money off of like the work he's doing in there. And then he's also making money off of like um, people storing their stuff in his shop and then making money off of them like having access to it. So I think that's like a really cool business idea and it wouldn't necessarily just have to be like woodworking. Like let's say you had like a, um, like a welding shop or, or something like that that you're passionate about, like doing welding or you like, you want to start a welding business. So you'd be able to, um, use this kind of, um, idea to have your like welding shop and then like a lot of other people come in there and use it. So, so the leasing out, and the renting out of like the space, you could do that really as like a part-time thing if you wanted to. Um, you could do it full-time if like, if you had, were building cabinets or custom furniture for somebody, obviously you'd be working there full-time. But but what this guy does to really like make money is he puts on all these like woodworking classes where he shows you like, has a class about like how to build a chair, has how to, a class about how to build a table, a class about how to like, use a lathe to like, um, spin, you know, like w do that kind of woodworking. I'm not like super 
I don't, not super knowledgeable about woodworking, but so really I think he makes a, um, a pretty penny off of like renting it out, but I think he makes even more money uh, like, uh, teaching these classes and he has his classes listed. He has his classes like kind of put on through like a local community college. So that's a really good like pipeline to get people into. And, um, I know that he teaches like non-credited classes for people who just want to like learn a new hobby. Um, and then obviously at the end of the class, he tries to like sell you a membership to like the woodworking like studio. And then I also think maybe he does like do some like credited classes for like, um, carpentry for kids who are like going to trade school to be like a carpenter. So he does some of those things. So I think that you could potentially make some pretty good money doing that. Um, and it, and really like it just, it just, you could do it like one of two ways. And I think this guy bought the building outright and then kind of like improved it enough and made it clean and safe enough for people to rent out these bays. Um, so if you got like a really good deal on it, I think it would be a good idea to, to buy it, but you could also like lease it and then just sublease it out. Um, so then that way you're not you're not the owner of the building. You're just collecting like rents from the people you sublet it out to. So I think that that's a really good, um, I think that's a really cool like idea because that would, that like lets this guy like pursue his dream and his passion and he has other people paying for it. So I think that's a really cool thing. A really cool thing to do. That's definitely something to look for. And like the, the other thing too is let's say he like wants to do, this for a while, like renting it out to like artists and renting it out to like painters and like having his shop on the like top level since he owns the building. So usually like when an area gets like regentrified, so look at like Williamsburg in like New York city. Um, and I heard this from another source, but, um, Williamsburg used to be like, just basically like all like manufacturing and then like the manufacturing dried up. So then there's all these like abandoned warehouses so then the first pe- people to like move in to these like areas that are being regentrified is typically like artist types because they need like large areas like lofts and stuff for their art. And then like once those areas get trendy, like even like downtown Omaha is like getting trendy again. Then what you could do if you owned a building like this is once everyone's leases were up for their art space, you could convert it into condos and like make a ton and ton of money. So um, there's a lot of different like angles to like work with that, but I thought that was like a pretty cool idea. Um, and I've been in the building. It's like really, really cool. The building is really awesome. And what they have going on there is like really cool. I think like pretty much all the bays are totally full. So it's a cool idea. So, um, kind of going along with our theme of chasing your dreams, I have another uh, business for sale and, I kind of, you know, I've been like kind of pitching you guys like pretty expensive businesses. And, um, I I was talking, I think in like episode two or three, kind of the overarching like reason that I am even talking about businesses for sale and buying a business is you're basically, you're just buying your way into being a CEO. And I think that if you're going to buy a business, that's really the best way to do it is find a business that doesn't have very much competition that's something that you could step into that would be something that is like, it's been like either on autopilot or like steadily growing over a long period of time. And all you would have to do is basically not screw it up. 
and you can make money from day one. So that's kind of the businesses that I've been talking about um, over the last seven episodes. And that's really like the message that I'm really like passionate about when it comes to businesses for sale is, you know, unless you have a burning desire to start a business, it's actually a lot better to buy a business because you're buying earnings, you're buying a, hopefully a good reputation, you're buying some um, safety because you're having the owner carry back some of, hold back some of the loan. Um, and you're like buying some training because we want the owner to stay on for a while and um, to help transition you into it. But this week, because of kind of what I'm talking about, and I might be talking to some people that have like been laid off or lost their job or whatever, um, I want to kind of talk about a business that's a little bit like cheaper, doesn't make as much money as the other ones I've been talking about. And <clears throat> this business is a uh, barber shop that has three locations in Portland, Oregon. The asking price is 845000 so a lot cheaper than the other ones I've been talking about. It cash flows $587,336, which is pretty good for the asking price. Um, gross revenue for last year was $1.336 million. Um, they're renting the three locations that they have. Rent is uh, $9,800 a month. It was established in 2014. And basically what it is, is it's a, well, there's three of them. There are three barbershops. Um, they're... What there is, it's a high quality version of a vintage barbershop. So it's kind of like the barbershop that you would think about when you're really thinking about a barbershop with the rotating striped thing out front. Each shop provides traditional and modern haircuts, uh, beard trims, straight razor shaves, and a full range of barber services along with exceptional hospitality that includes a variety of beverages and offerings to create a comfortable experience. Uh, all shops are in excellent locations and each offer a wide, uh, uh, a wide range of amenities appealing to a broad, uh, segment of the market. So I think that's really cool. Like if you're a barber or, um, somebody who wants to become a barber, I would say you probably want a barber's license in, um, Oregon. That's where it's at Portland, Oregon. I would say you'd want like a barber's license there. I don't know how hard a barber's license is to get, um, as opposed to like, uh, a license to like be a hair stylist or, or whatever they're called. I don't really know the difference myself, but I know that there's like a lot of people, especially now, like having a barbershop or like being a barber, it's kind of like come full circle. So there used to be like a barbershop everywhere and every man would go to like a barber and then it became like people were too like cheap or whatever. And they all go to great clips like I do and you get bad service and it's a different person every single time. Um, and you're just in and out. It's like, you're in a herd of cattle. Um, they don't really care. They do an okay job. It's cheap, whatever, but it's not really like an experience, right? I mean, you're looking at your phone until that she calls you up, you get your haircut and you get out of there. So this is more like of an experience. It's more of a place to like, um, where it's the same barber every time, you know, the kind of, you're going to get a good service. You know, the person you're getting a service from, you know what to expect. Um, it's obviously each haircut is going to be more expensive than like a great clips, but it's probably not going to be a lot more expensive. And I feel like for a man, it's like, I just want the same thing every time, you know, and I want to know what to expect. So where I grew up uh, in Papillion, Nebraska, there was a guy who owned a barbershop downtown 
And Papillion is basically full of um, people who work either in the Air Force or like contractors for the Air Force. So this guy specialized basically in like military style haircuts. And he had the same clientele like over and over and over. And they knew him. He knew them. Everyone kind of knew each other. So it was also kind of like a, a place where like guys like congregated and talked and you saw your neighbor and stuff. So it was like a, a, a cool like experience. And that guy was busy all the time. And I think his barberstop is, is, is still open. So that's like over 30 years now. So I think that's really cool. And that's, this is like a really cool business for sale. You don't really like see, um, like tons of barbershops for sale. There's not a lot out there, but I think that they're like really coming back. Um, so that's pretty cool. So like I said, it's in Portland, Oregon, um, and, uh, three locations, uh, right now they've got three employees. There are obviously your competition is other barbershops and hair salons in the area. Obviously this is a little bit different. It differentiates itself through a combination of strategic locations, charming and inviting atmospheres, training quality and focus on service and hospitality. So I think that that's the angle they're going for. And this is a great way, uh, something like this, where it's kind of like a throwback vintage thing, um, creating an experience, that's a really good way to differentiate yourself if you're in a crowded market um, that's being commoditized because obviously like hair care is commoditized, you know, um, it's cheap. You can get a haircut like anywhere. So this is a great way to um, kind of carve out a little niche um, within like a bigger overall um, market. So if you guys are interested in that, if you'd like some more information, you can get a hold of the listing agent. His name's Jason Blair. He's with Transworld Business Advisors of East Portland. His phone number is 503-820-0063. Um, as always, you guys can also just reach out to me um, via email. It's theideaaddict at gmail.com. It'll be in the show notes. So um, that brings us to the three critiques and the three critiques this week are, um, they're all like pretty good. I need to like throw some more shitty ones in because it's kind of fun to say like, this is terrible. Why would anyone do this? Well, I actually do kind of have a shitty one. So I'll just add it to the list right now. It's my show. I can do whatever I want to. So hold on a second. Let me write it down because if I'm ranting, there's a good possibility I could forget about it. Um, hold up. Okay, so the first one, and we'll, we'll start out with a good one, and then we'll save the shitter for the end. So the first one is a, a catering business, and um, this one I actually do like. Obviously, there's a lot of catering businesses around, so you're going to have to compete for business. But what I like about the catering business is if you have a passion for, like, making food, if you have a passion for for that kind of thing, baking cooking, whatever. This is a great alternative to having a restaurant. And as you guys have picked up on, I'm sure in the last seven episodes, there's a few exceptions, but I'm not like super into restaurants. Um, I think that buying a restaurant, there's tons and tons and tons of restaurants for sale, just tons. Um, and mostly what selling a restaurant is, is it's the game of the greater fool. So you were enough of a fool to start a restaurant. Now you have to find a greater fool to buy the restaurant from you. So 
This is a great alternative to starting a restaurant because you're going to be able to forecast. Um, you're going to be able to get your schedule set out. So you're going to be able to forecast how much money you're making when you're working. You're going to have a little bit more regular business hours. Obviously, you're going to have to work nights and weekends um, for weddings and stuff like that. But you're just dropping off the food, making sure it's there. Um, a catering business like <clears throat> I wouldn't th- – well, I don't really know. I guess um, it depends on like where the venue would be, but like maybe like the venue has its own like wait staff. I don't know if you'd have to be there to like serve and switch out the food. It's a possibility. So that's something to consider. You might have to be there for part of the event. But I think this is really good. Um, I don't know off the top of my head like what the um, profitability of a catering business is, but I think it is pretty decent. There's a lot in Omaha that have been around a long time, so you have to be able to make some money to be around for 20 years. Um, so I think it's good. Obviously, there's some things you're going to have to think about with a catering business. You're going to need like a commercial kitchen where you can prepare all this stuff. Uh, and even though it's not a restaurant, it still is going to have to be inspected by the health department. It's You're still going to have to have um, all of that stuff. Um, you're just not going to have um, people coming in and eating there, obviously. So it could just be a building that's basically a restaurant or uh, uh, basically a building that is just a kitchen. Um, you're going to need vehicles to transport the large quantities of food that you're going to be making to the venue. And you're going to have to have um, people help you prepare the meals people help you get the meals to where the event is at and lay everything out. Um, so those are kind of the things you're going to have to think about. So you are, you're not going to need as big of a staff as you would at a restaurant, but you're still going to need a staff. Um, you're going to need, you're going to be doing a lot, a lot of sales and advertising. You're going to need to do a lot of uh, marketing. You're going to do a lot, need to do a lot of networking with people who have venues that have uh, wedding venues uh, graduation venues, um, public venues, things like that. You're going to have to really network and try to get in there and prove yourself so you can be one of the like vendors that they refer business to. Um, you're going to have to network with like wedding planners, things like that. But I think that if, if you did a good job, you were reasonably or competitively priced, you did a good job. Um, and you, and you were easy to work with, right? So like all these places, they don't want to deal with somebody that or a company that's a pain in their ass. And as soon as you're a pain in their ass, they're just going to move on to the next person. So if you're reliable, you do a good job. Those are all sources of repeat business that you could, that you could be getting referral business from for like years and years. So when me and my wife got married, um, we ended up using a caterer that had catered um, company events for my mother-in-law when she was at like a large uh, bank here. This company always like catered their like Christmas party. And she was like, she was like, the food was good. The people who like serve it are friendly, blah, 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 blah. Um, and, and she was like part of like planning some of them. And she's like, they're easy to work with They're blah, blah, blah. So they had a good reputation. So, we didn't even like sample the food because their reputation around town was just so good. It was just a no brainer. We just picked out what they had on the menu that sounded good, said it, forget it. Wasn't a problem. The food was excellent. Didn't have any problems. So those people are getting referred all the time because they have a good service and a good product. So 
catering business. Um, yeah, I like that. I like it a lot more than a restaurant. I think that that could be good. Um, the next one is, um, someone asked me about, and they, they want to get into web to like web development, building websites for people, but specifically like their area of expertise is web, uh, uh, WordPress. So they were like, it would be kind of, I would be kind of like a WordPress consultant or like a web developer of like word WordPress sites. I've used WordPress in the past and I know that WordPress, I built a, uh, a website with WordPress, but it was probably like 2011. So it was quite a while ago. And the website I built was like pretty basic, but I feel like WordPress is really, really popular. They have tons of plugins. They have tons of, um, you can make a really, really nice uh, website using WordPress. And I think that there's a lot of people out there who like need websites built. They need websites that look good built. They need websites that like function good built. And I think that WordPress kind of like checks all the boxes for those. And if you can like put out a good product and um, you're competitively priced, I think that that's really good. And the other thing is like um, I talked about, I talked about like my platform mowing business. I had somebody build that who was in the United States and um, I used, um, what's that website? It's like a website where you can go and say like, I need this done. And then people will like give you bids for it. Um, God, what the hell is it called? Anyway, so basically I put out like, here's what I want built. Here's how I want it built. Here's about approximately how much money I want spent. And then like you get all of these people saying like, I can do that. I can do that for this much money in this amount of time, blah, 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 blah. Well, um, I got a lot of people that were responding that were saying like, yeah, I can like build it. it it'll cost this much. It'll take this long. But um, the people I, were talk I was talking to um, were in like foreign countries um, and they didn't speak like good English and they didn't really like comprehend English really well, which made it really, really difficult to explain exactly what I want um, and have them really comprehend what I want. Because what I was talking about was like pretty like theoretical ideas that I needed them to build into like real tools that other people could use online. So the fact they couldn't speak English or they did speak English, but it was as a second language. Um, it, it made it very, very difficult. So obviously I ended up going with somebody, um, who lived in the United States, who was an English speaker who could comprehend what I was saying. And I think in a situation like that, where you're, you're having to explain something that's so detailed, um, the person that you're talking to has to speak the same language as you. Um, because, and especially because like in that situation, like if somebody like me comes to like a developer and is like, here's what I want, I'm explaining it as somebody who doesn't know anything about web developing. And I'm talking to somebody who knows everything about web developing. So we're already kind of speaking two different languages. And if, if the languages that you're speaking to each other in are, are like two different languages, you get, you catch what I'm saying. So I think that it, and, and this guy like lives in Omaha, he speaks English and everything. So I think that that's really good because he's like a local, he's a local person or at least like a regional person. You can pick up the phone and have a conversation with him. Um, 
So I think that that's really good. He's obviously going to be more expensive than somebody that you would hire from India or Bangladesh or something like that. But I think that like building, uh, especially like a business website and having the functionality that the consumer wants, I think that um, I think that you could be really competitive because you're like right in 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 the backyard of where your clients are going to be. And then also too, like um, after you build it for them, um, you're going to probably like host the website for them. Um, and then also you're going to be the one, like you're going to be doing tech support for their website too. Um, so you're going to get paid to develop it. You're going to get paid to like host it and you're going to get paid to, uh, do the, the troubleshooting and fix problems as they come up. Um, so you're, you're going to get paid in a couple different ways. Um, so I think it's good there, um, for the guy starting it and it's good for the consumer because they're going to know, if they have a problem in a year or two years, they're going to know that you're here. They can find you easily. And then the other thing I like about this too is once you really got this going um, and you had more more business than you could um, – once you had more business that, that you could do is you could like sub out some of it. Um, and when I was thinking about this idea, I, I told this guy about – and this is, doesn't really have anything to do with it, but it's just like a funny story I heard. I read it, I think, on like MSN or something a long time ago. And this guy was a web developer, like an IT guy for like a major corporation. And um, and he was like really sick of like working there. So what he did is he hired like all of these like freelance IT guys from uh, India to take care of all of the – he worked at like a big corporation and he's like, this is my job. This is what I have to do every day. This is the project they have me doing. And then he literally outsourced his own job to India. And then when he was at work, he was like developing websites and stuff for other people, like in his local community. So basically he was getting, pay he was getting paid by this corporation. He was running his own business. So he like tripled his pay by outsourcing his own job somewhere else, which is like pretty funny because that's what corporations do anyway. They like, eventually we'll outsource you to somewhere else. But then I think like somehow like the company that he worked for fired him once I found out, which that makes sense. But then I think they like sued him for all this money because it was like a breach of contract and blah, 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 blah. So I think the guy ended up like, like owing his employer a million bucks. So that's kind of a little ridiculous. It's like, why don't they just hire the guys from India if they knew what they were doing? So anyway, um, WordPress consultant slash web developer, yes, I think that that's good. I don't think you'd have to like sell that many and be hosting that many to make a full time income. So I like that one. Um, the next one is starting a microbrewery. Um, I don't know a ton about like making beer because I don't like drink, um, but I I know that like microbreweries are like really really popular now. They're in fact they're so popular. There's a a couple suburbs of Omaha. Um, in like Southwest Omaha. And there's so many microbreweries in those little suburbs that they have like microbrewery tours. There's like tour companies that drive you around these to these little microbreweries um, all over the suburbs. So that's like pretty funny. And then each one of these microbreweries has like a bar inside that also serves food. And I think um, a microbrewery could be good. Obviously, the one thing is like you need to know somebody, you need to know a lot about making beer um, to get it going. Um, the other thing is you're going to need all the equipment, which is like industrial vats and stuff like that, um, which can be pretty expensive. And then you need like a large, um, warehouse or a large facility to store all that stuff in. 
Um, and then the other thing is if you want to make any money, you're going to have to have a really good way to like sell it and distribute it. So there obviously is some like big barriers to entry. Um, if you could get a good distribution out, um, I think you could make pretty good money. Um, when I was like a, in college, I worked part-time at um, Pepsi and to make a 20 ounce thing of Pepsi costs like one and a quarter cents. It really doesn't cost anything. And beer is kind of the same way. So really big margins. You just have to find enough people to sell it to and not get eaten alive by the um, upfront cost of getting it going. So microbrewery, um, that's not something that I would be into, but since this is a chase your dreams episode, if you really wanted to do that, um, that's fine with me. So the last one I read this online Someone was asking about doing this and um, I could see doing this as like a full-time job, but I don't really understand doing it. I don't see how you can make any money just doing this on your own really. And what it is, is it's um, writing, coming up with the poetry for greeting cards. And I literally thought that this idea was just so fucking stupid. There is a couple like greeting card companies that you can submit your poetry to. And then if they choose to use it, it's $300 is what they would pay for it, for them to like have the rights to use it. But how many poet, how many poems would you have to come up to sell one piece of poetry to a greeting card company? You'd probably have to make thousands of submissions. And I checked and on one of them and the submission form, just filling out the damn submission form, it would be like an hour, you know. And then the other thing is, why wouldn't the greeting com- company like just tweak a couple things in your po- your poem and like make it their own? Um, so I don't like that. That's stupid. That's not a, that's not something that you can turn into a business. And it sounds like if you want to like write poems that badly, just like write a a book of poems and like sell it on Amazon or something like that. So catering, yes. WordPress consultant, yes. Microbrewery, maybe. Writing uh, poetry for greeting card companies, um, no, that's a job. That's not a business. So if you guys have any um, business ideas that you want me to critique, um, if you have a business for sale you want me to talk about on, on the next episode, I'd be down for that. If you guys need some business ideas, if you want to quit your job, if you lost your job, whatever, um, shoot me a message. I'll put my email address in the show notes. It's theideaaddict at gmail.com. Also hit me up on Facebook, uh, Zach Hergert, Idea Addict. And um, hit me up on, you can get these episodes on Spotify, you can get them on Google, you can get them on Apple, and now you can even get them on YouTube. So there's really no excuse. Until next time, uh, talk to you guys later. And remember, you're only one idea away.